Are we live? Yeah. Let's do it. We're yeah. Live. So, uh, you know, hey, it's it's summer, Ethan. Uh, we're both hey, high school history Socks and uh, slides. Yeah, you are. You're rolling in here. You're White wearing... socks and slides. Yeah, I know. Do you want to rep that brand? What do you think? What do you um, want to... All day I dream about soccer. Yeah. Yeah, but I haven't played soccer since sixth grade. No, so. I, I, I also dream about soccer, and I think I played till third grade. You know, I bought a brand new pair of cleats like two years ago, and I still have never used them. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Indoor or outdoor? Uh, they're outdoor. Outdoor? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, I have, like, I have multiple brands. I have multiple, like, forms of shoes that are technically indoor soccer shoes. Mm. Never, never. Never once. Well, when you're, uh, recovered yeah, from Yeah, once your... my, my knee's back, man. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, uh, tell the people what's up with your knee. The people. Yeah. The people. So, uh, I, uh, I got knee surgery. I got, got married in May. Spent, congrats, uh, you were there. Was yeah, there. you were there. Say congrats. Yeah, well, thank you. You can say as much as you want. And then, uh, spent, uh, like three weeks in, in Europe for our honeymoon, which is incredible opportunity. Go if you heat can. wave though, huh? Dude, uh, yeah, we were in we were in Paris right as the right as the World Cup was you know still going on, kind of there at the beginning, and then we ended back up there when they had historic heat waves, like the hottest day in France on record, I think ever. I want to say ever, yeah. and uh, it was so interesting because there's uh, they just don't have AC and. A lot of the buildings, not all the buildings, but in just a lot of the buildings. Even, like, uh, famous, like, attractions or, like, museums. Like, in the in the Louvre, either there was an AC or it was, like, pretty limited because it gets, like, pretty hot with, you know, all the big groups and stuff. So were people just leaving? Like, and just so, getting on planes and leaving? It was, like, no, it was to the point of where, like, on television, like, you turn on, like, the... We, we always love, whenever we're somewhere, uh, especially if you don't speak the language, we love just to, like, turn on, like, just, like, the local channel. Like, just, like, watch their news. You know what yeah. I mean? Or, like, watch their commercials or whatever. And uh, their news, like, they were talking about, like, historic heat wave, like, warnings. They were setting up, like, water coolers and parks. Like, it was... That's good. They were, like, literally everything. And uh, to the point of where we were trying to go to the the catacombs, which is kind of like the... Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? In, mm-hmm. in Paris, you know, the, the underground, yeah. uh, you know, built to relieve the overflowing uh, uh, cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> Just super gross. Yeah. Um, and they what were, else are you gonna do? Right, yeah, yeah. Well, our, our thought was like it's like underground, right? So it'd be cool. But they said that um, there was like a warning sign on their website that's saying like just because you're gonna have to wait in line for hours to get in, uh, like because sure, it's cooling off. Yeah, it? make sure you pack adequate amount of water. You know what I mean? Wow. So like it was, we were there for a really interesting time. But when we came back, uh, I had a it was kind of a nagging knee injury and uh, just finally wanted to take care of it the right way. So. Got the surgery, repaired mm. my uh, torn meniscus, and they had to put a screw in my uh, my whole family. Man, biology. Our knees are just goofy. They they bend too far. You ever, ever watch me like stand up straight? Like my knees bend past like what's straight to people. They hyper. I don't stare at your knees often. Oh really? You don't find yourself yeah, yeah. gazing upon it's like my eyes are uh, up yeah. here. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Uh, so you know, <laughs> I'm, I've been here the last couple of weeks just on crutches and mm-hmm. ice and you know just doing. Here and there, not a whole lot, but ready to ready to be back. You know, yeah. bigger and and better, Andrew. You're off the machine. So, oh, I'm off the machine. The I polar this machine. Ice thing. Polar pack. Polar is, pack. That's crazy. So yeah. let me let me ask before we jump in here. I know we got we got to get, get podcasting, but uh, yeah. what are you listening to? What are you watching? What have you been doing this summer? I know you're taking these classes, but yeah. what have you been doing in your spare time? What are you oh, what man. are you what are you watching, man? Just me. Yeah, or whoever. Just me whoever. being me. Um. So honestly, talking about reading, like. When I'm in school, the only thing I really read is stuff for school. I'm guilty of that. Um, I, I, you know, 
people will like think, oh, you're like, yeah, you're in a graduate program, so you're, you love books, like reading books, and I, I do like reading, but like I'm slow. When I like something, I yeah. slow down and I try to soak it up. So Dance, it know. takes me a, a long time to read, and, yeah. and I'm okay with that. So yeah, I've really only been reading um, the Callaway book, which we've been talking about, has been really interesting. The Indian World right. of George Washington, um, and other books for my courses this summer. So um, I guess the only other thing I've been reading would be to my two-year-old daughter. Hey. We've been reading A.A. Uh, a. Milne, uh, Winnie the Pooh. Classic. Yeah, we got like the collection. Classic. We got it from a, a used bookstore. Super that is, cheap. I grew up on that stuff, man. Did you really? Some of the great. My mom loves Winnie the Pooh stuff. So, so I, I grew up on grew movies, up. but not the books. Well, we did. I think. I think the the movies were. I think were the the gateway drug for her. And then she, you mm. know, she she's a my mom's an English professor. Oh, wow, and yeah. so she's a. I don't say it to brag, but just she she, she likes books. Yeah, yeah. And so she yeah. Well, <laughs> mm, think he's up. Well, yeah. Well, my uh, mom was a. Elementary school librarian, so... Yeah, hey. Yeah, wow, we're just <laughs> competing here. <laughs> My mom could beat up your mom? Right, bring it. You're right. Is that... Bring it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll hope. Right. <laughs> now, uh, you watching anything when you're anything? You still watching your Parks and Rec, your office? What are you doing? Um, actually, so, my wife and I are watching Psych. Hmm. Love Psych. It's a good Great show. show. Yeah. Um, it's on USA. Um, they're actually making another movie. Okay. We have actually seen the first movie they it's made. Easy to watch show. I but like I, show. I like Psych. It's it's good, and you know, having a, a, a daughter changes what you want to watch around her. And Psych's not too bad. Like, you know, we don't. She doesn't sit there and watch it with us. But I feel comfortable like having that on while she's in the room. Right. Versus yeah. like you know some other like more adult shows that the I watch. Sopranos, Narcos. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Walking Dead. Right. My right. so um. Traumatizing. My mother-in-law, so my daughter's grandma, loves The Walking Dead. So this is a, a sweet, soft-spoken, smiling Filipino lady. <laughs> Loves The Walking Dead. <laughs> and Transition, so, right? Right, but she doesn't. Yeah. You know, she doesn't watch it with my daughter at all. Right. But no. So what I'm watching right now, I've discovered the show. It was an ABC show called The Rookie. Okay. With Nathan Fillion, I've, Castle. Oh. Yeah. yeah, that guy. He's a he's a cool. Uh, he, I like his I like his acting. So actually, I've never really watched Castle, but. The show is really great. It started off reminding me of that movie with, um, what was it called? The Two Cops. And it was really serious. I'm going to have to look this up. Um, but anyways, it was pretty, like, the show was pretty gritty and realistic at the beginning. But now, I'm getting strong, like, Grey's Anatomy vibes. Like, there's a lot of romances, and they literally start. have been in a hospital a lot more for, like, okay. the, Every episode, they're in a hospital, and I think it might be the set for Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> Have people started getting so... hit, hit by buses yet? Because that's 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 when you know you're really in a Grey's Anatomy world. Oh, when just when the main characters start getting hit by vehicles, you're like, oh shoot, okay. So no, did anyone get hit by? Someone got hit by a people get. Oh, so every, okay, okay, yeah. So yep, Grey's Anatomy. There every episode, there's a big gunfight, <laughs> and it's like it's in L.A. So okay. I'm like, I don't okay. know if it's like. Anyways, but it's been a cool it's show. Good. I'll watch that, cool. I'll watch that. Yeah, yeah. But the movie I was talking about was End of Watch. That's the cop movie, Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great. So you compared to that? You can. Okay. That's what it reminded me of at first. Okay. And the show's cool because there's like body cam footage, as like they snip that in there. Okay. Like it's really cool and it just feels kind of realistic. But as the show's progressed in the first season, a lot of drama. But I'm still watching it. Right? Okay. So I'll keep watching. I'll finish the first season. Yeah. And, but, you know, it's lost its gritty feel. It's not quite as edgy as it was. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like, like realism, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Okay. But what about you? What are you reading? Okay, what are you watching? so, yeah. I mean, when you get knee surgery, man, 
you're you're on the couch, right? You got your you got your medication, you got your you got your ice pack, and you're you're kind of stuck. Oh, I've been watching a lot of stuff, but the one thing I got that really stood out to me was I've been watching. Um, I uh, I realized uh, we don't have cable. We we decided to just kind of cut the cut the cord, not pay for it, um, and so we just kind of have like a Roku and just do the apps and stuff. But yeah. we've been logging in. Shout out to mom and dad. Uh, using my mom and dad's password onto all these different like TV apps, and nice. so I recently downloaded CNN Go and uh, CNN, Go. CNN Go, and so you know I don't really watch that news because I just kind of use my phone for 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 the news. You know, I get to have a couple different news sources on there, but uh, okay. But there is, you know, I, I really wanted to watch Anthony Bourdain. Uh, anybody who knows me knows I'm I'm a big Bourdain guy. I love his parts on known on CNN. So I really I was like I got to get it for that. But then I found this other show, um, and you've probably seen this guy before. Uh, he's a black stand-up comedian, uh, W. Kamal Bell, I think I'm saying that right. Mm. You've seen He's kind of a big Afro going. You've probably seen him before on, on stuff. He's, he's a funny guy. But he is this show on CNN. Been out, I think it's like three or four seasons out. Yeah. It's called uh, The United Shades of America. Okay. And I watched the first episode a couple days ago, and I've, I've, been, I've been pretty into it since then. Uh He's kind of just looking at race in America, and uh, he's he's looking at um, groups that he doesn't fully understand. Um, oh wow! And, and he and he's he doesn't really. I mean, he'll he'll go and talk with groups that you know probably wouldn't talk to him otherwise. You know, like example, first episode, uh, he's looking at the KKK, KKK, the new KKK. I think is what it's called. If I oh my god! And he goes to like wow. Kentucky. And he goes to like all these different clan groups. And, oh, my crutches just fell over. Those of you listening, and uh, he like he goes to like a, like a KKK cross burning, and I guess what? Yeah, yeah. And so like it, it as a black man, you know, in America, mm. right? And uh, it's so interesting because you know the KKK is obviously a you know mm. it, it's it's just it's you know it, it's uh, they've rebranded themselves in attempts to like. I don't know how they're gonna rectify their image, but they're like trying. So like the people he's talking to, they wow. say like we're not like anti you know black or anti like um, you know Jewish. We're we're just pro white. So they have, they're they're trying to like rebrand, <laughs> and uh, they they don't call it a cross burning. They call it a cross lighting, which I really feel like illumination. Yeah, you know, what's the difference? <laughs> like what's the right? It's not like you know you're still you're burning the cross, right? Um. And so, no, definitely, if you get a chance, check it out. It's um, wow. and there's there's just looking at all the all the episodes. There's he goes to all different places. Um, I think he's just really kind of looking at different groups in America. And uh, you know, it's it's a uh, it's one of those shows where I think it's never gonna hurt you to learn a little bit more about how people think, whether they're groups like the KKK or whether they're they're immigrants or people of color or just just a group or a. a, a type of person or, or whatever that you're just not familiar with. I think it's not going to hurt anything. So That's check awesome. it out, man. United Shades of America, CNN. I will. I'll solid. Have to. Solid. I'll have to. Yeah. yeah. Beats a uh, uh, Grey's Anatomy cocktail. This <laughs> is pretty okay. <laughs> well, let's get, uh, let's get podcasting, man. Let's do it. Coffee's brewed, lap chaps are charged, let's get going. Uh, yeah. This is another episode of History Bros, Making the Past Dope Again. I am Andrew, and I am joined by my very illustrious co-host. Wow. Yeah, this I mean, is, this is Ethan. Yeah. Illustrious. Ill- yeah, you're welcome. I've never had anybody call me that before, not even my wife. <laughs> 
Just up the ante, huh? Yeah, I yeah. like that. Setting the setting the bar high. So what are we uh, what are we looking at today here? I know we uh, got a history history thing coming our way. Yeah, so um, we are starting a series today. Um, this first series is about uh, George Washington. Okay. And more specifically, it's about his uh, Indian policies or Native American policies. And so um, the inspiration behind this is I've been taking this course this summer okay. over the history of uh, Native Americans. And so um, every class we take, like, we know we're going to have to do some kind of, like, final research project. Sure, sure. I had no clue. Right. Because really this is my first time truly learning about Native American history. And it's been wonderful. But I'm like, man, like, there's so much to learn. So we went to this workshop uh, in town that was held by uh, uh, the Gilder Lehrman Institute. And um, they did this uh, lesson about George Washington. And within this uh, discussion, they talked about his experiences and encounters with Native Americans. Um, and I was just kind of struck. I was yeah. like, wow, this is uh, pretty interesting. So I talked to the guy. And actually the guy, the guy, I say the guy, it's Denver Brunsman. He's probably like the country's, um, like, I want maybe the expert or one of the experts on George Washington. So he's the guy. He's like the guy. He's like, the dude. I actually yeah. went back home and I found from one of my older classes... Um, I had a book that was written by him, and I didn't even know it. And I met the guy. <gasps> no and I just talked to him casually. I'm like, "Hey, can you give now me you some didn't, advice?" You didn't bring or... the book. You didn't know. No. Okay. Well, so like, yeah. here's the thing with historians: Do you get their autographs? I think you gotta. I think you gotta archive history being made. Yeah, I think. Right. Yeah. Is, right. is that like I, a celebrity? So. Like, if I saw Terry <sighs> Crews, I would ask him to I mean, sign an autograph for me. Okay. If you saw, if you, if you were meeting Ken Burns, would okay. you autograph? Ooh. I, yeah, absolutely. I don't so know why I hesitated. So, but, but, then, but then you're questioning historians. So does, does Ken mm. Burns have, like, the swag, I guess? I guess he is the celebrity to his name. PBS you, Denver Brunsman isn't quite a household name. Calling him out. Um, yeah. No disrespect. Right. No, awesome guy. <laughs> so um, did he give you this manifesto here? That guy uh, he did not that. know this. Uh, this now, now, for the, for the, for the people listening, uh, Ethan came in here with really just, I mean, I don't know if he's, if this is his... Here, listen to this. You listen to this, man. I mean, we're talking about a forest. We are talking about a full size. I mean, this this dwarfs the communist manifesto. I mean, no disrespect to Marx, but I mean, yeah, this uh, and a uh, little known fact: these papers are made from the uh, cherry tree that George Washington. Mm. Smooth. No. Anyways, smooth. What were we talking about? Oh, why? Why are we doing this series? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. There you go. So I talked to Denver Brunsman, and there was this <laughs> other. Um, I'll, I'll put his name out there. Um, uh, but there's another gentleman there who's a master teacher for the Gilder Lehrman Institute, and I won't say his name, uh, just to respect, you know, sure. some confidentiality right, with him right, at least. Right. Um, but um, they they turned me on to uh, this book by Colin Calloway called The Indian World of George Washington. Okay. And the stack of papers that you heard me flip through, <laughs> um, all these letters to or from George Washington talk about Native Americans, and I was just kind of blown away by um, his interactions. And so, here, let me read this quote from Calloway that kind of inspired this uh, idea for this series. This episode, yeah. Yeah, so this is from Calloway in his book, uh, The Indian World of George Washington. He said, ignoring or excluding Native America from Washington's life 
like ex is like excluding it from the early history of the nation, contributes to the erasure of Indians from America's past and America's memory. And that, like, super, like, hit me. Yeah. I, I feel like, wow, like, when you learn about George Washington, like, it's not really, like, synonymous with Native American history. Right. But it is. Right. Now, did you did you know this whole backstory before you, you went to this, this None seminar? whatsoever. Okay, okay. None. No. So it's kind of been forgotten, skipped over, I don't want to say, I don't want to say whitewashed, but it's been, it's been right past, I guess. So yeah. my knowledge of George Washington was, like... Probably the common knowledge everyone else has. Sure. Kind of the idea of George Washington as, like, the first president, right. the American legend. I mean, he's he's Washy George, he's Georgie Wash, he's the founding father, he's the OG. Yeah. I mean, he's the cherry tree guy, steps away after two terms. I mean, he's, I think of all the founding fathers, he's kind of gotten away with the, I don't want to say the cleanest bill, you know? Mm. He's really just, like, he's kind of like, he's kind of the... He's the hero. He's the he's Hercules. Like, yeah, he's the plumb line of presidents. Yeah. Like, you know, if you want to like, how great is a president? You compare him to to Washington. I'd right. say probably the second to Washington would be Lincoln. Right. Okay. Right? Okay. Um, probably some people wouldn't yeah. that, but you know, spinning habeas corpus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think you know, you know, a little here and there. But, but I think the thing I appreciate about Calloway's book, and then and some from the other reading I've looked at, is Washington's a human. Okay. He's a person, too. Um, he's a person, too, and so there's just a lot about him um, that just speaks to his humanity. And in some cases, in a lot of cases, his ignorance when it came to other cultures, okay. specifically Native American culture. And it's ironic because he lived in a Native American world. Right. And so it's just super interesting, and I'm like, man, I, I want to do more research about this. So that's what I'm doing. Reading, right? Learning a lot, and that's kind of what we want to dive into today. We got the myth, we got the legend. Let's look at the man. Yeah. So I guess before we dive too deep, do kind of want to to put a, I guess a maybe disclaimer. I don't know if that's the word to use. Sure. But about yeah. you know, I think um, public service announcement. You know, Andrew and I both. I think we really want to be respectful of other people, other cultures. Um, all the time. And so when we personally speak about Native Americans, we say Native Americans or right. indigenous peoples sure, of America. Sure. I think those are uh, the preferred terminology uh, by the people in those communities um, and the historical community at large. But um, from the language that's used in a lot of historical documents, right. um, the term Indian, capital I Indian, um, and sometimes lowercase I Indian, is used a lot. And so like even in our conversation will probably be using the term Indian. Yeah, it'll come up. Yeah. As it comes up right. um, from the documents. But, you know, as long as I can help it, I'm going to try to not say that, to be as respectful as I can right. and, and say Native American. And at the end of the day, you know, we are we are two white... Yes. Uh, we are... <laughs> sorry with the white hit that hard. We are two white history teachers. We're both male. We're living here in, in 2019. And so, you know, we'll do our best to... To be aware of our own our own biases and our own uh, our own circumstance and be respectful to the people uh, you know today and, and, and back then as well. But you know, I think I think a little public service announcement definitely is, is absolutely due before we start. You know? Yeah, I, I think it's the right thing. And to kind of speak to you saying we're both white, I did just buy my ancestry DNA kit. 
No way. And I haven't taken it yet, you, so uh, that might okay. not be a have true you, statement, my friend. I know we, we got to get going here, but have you, you, you haven't done any anything like that before. You, you haven't done any of it, because I know there's a couple different Never. ones. Okay. No family tree, so, nothing. let me prepare you for just the, I mean, uh, you are donating. You are not, you are not just spitting a tube, you are donating saliva. I mean, just the, the oh. tube, it is an impressive What's amount the capacity of there? The I mean, I don't, I don't know, but it was, when I did it, I was, I was, I just figured, like, you, you, you spit in the tube, you send it off, a couple days, no, no, it is a, it is a process to fill up that tube. And you, I think it's gone for, like, that's probably wrong. But wow. It was a decent amount of time to get okay. it back. It takes a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, sure. like, don't kiss my wife before I give these saliva samples. Oh, and you can't... Uh, They'll say I'm Filipino. You can't eat or drink anything before. So, you know, if, if you just if you just hit a... This is your chicken. If you just hit, like, a, like a buffet, you know, you gotta give it some air, man. Let it breathe. But, uh... Wow. No, it's interesting. I, I went and, um... Uh, my family's always, uh... Thought we were Irish, and and it's not like the the test proved otherwise, but but we learned there was kind of more wrinkles. We kind of thought it was just going to circle uh, Ireland, you know, it would just be a big old just it would just be just light up on Ireland nowhere else. But nice, uh, it was kind of much more just like like Western and Northern Europe, you know, and then also mm. like Britain and, and Ireland and so. But when you think about history and you think about how families and people move, it really does make sense, you know. So I think it's it's cool Can't to lock learn. it down. Yeah, 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 but honestly, like that's. If it did lock it down, it, there, you know, I don't know if that'd be as accurate. So I think it's, it's, I, I think it, it, uh, it's worth doing. Seeing where you come from, for sure. For nice. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So before we get going, um, I know you're taking one but two of these classes in the summer. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. you know, we're both teachers. Look forward yep. to the summer. A little rest, recovery, R and R. What summer? Man, yeah, this I was going to ask you what summer. It, how is how has it been taking these two grad classes? Um, well, I feel like uh, yeah, I feel like it's just been nonstop. It's it's great. Um, it's cool. So taking a uh, Native American history. Okay. And then the other class I'm taking is uh, the history of slavery in the Americas. Okay. So both actually they're are classes, hard. Man. They're hard <laughs> classes. Like hard to digest a lot of information, and it's a it's a terrible time to be a white guy in a history right. class let me tell you that's not, that's not going away bad stuff man <laughs> yeah but no like honestly it's just yeah. a lot to like right kind of grasp man. sure sure so but it's it's been great i'm like i said i'm i'm learning a lot it's right. it's a wonderful experience man. has it's there been any overlap in the two classes in terms of i mean i'm just thinking you know the only overlap was basically my slavery in the americas they're like yeah they tried like europeans tried using native americans as slaves but it didn't pan out Mostly due to disease. The end was kind of the end. Oh, wow. That was kind of oh, wow. from my slavery in the Americas <laughs> aspect. And so my Native American the history <laughs> aspect, like they haven't even talked about slavery much at all, my Native American history class. Not okay. that that's not a part of it, but sure, just we haven't sure. talked about it. So Yeah, a lot to cover, right? Yeah. A lot to cover. Yeah, actually, there's something maybe we'll talk about it later, but even George Washington's experience with slaves um, and, and his family um, and, and how that affected his treatment of Native Americans. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I think if, if you're ready, let's, uh, yeah. let's end this little intro segment. Let's, let's dive into this bad boy. Let's dive in. Okay. All right. So let's start with um, the guiding question for today's episode in this series. So 
Um, today's episode is about looking at the kind of the Indian policies of pre-revolutionary war, okay. George Washington. So looking at his upbringing, um, his first encounters with Native Americans, okay. and then his involvement of the event that starts the uh, Seven Years' War. Okay, so okay, question. So we're looking at kind of the man, how he became who he is, right? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I was going to ask you. I, I always refer to it as the French and Indian War, but yes. you just said Seven Years' War. Is there a preference among historians? Uh, is, is yeah, what, which what what do I call it? So no, that's a good question, and I, honestly, I don't know. I think, and what I've read, it's. It's, I, I would say it's probably interchangeable from what I've read, and it probably just depends on who you ask or what perspective. Uh, from a colonial perspective, French and Indian War makes a little bit more sense, but looking at a global perspective, the Seven Years' War, um, you know, I can't remember the name of the historian I read, but they referred to it as the First World War, like okay. the first true like global okay. or, or transatlantic war. So I guess... Making it a global war, I mean, it's fought in, in more than one continent, right? Yeah. Okay, and so that would be, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and, and more than one uh, uh, hemisphere. Right. Right? Like I said, yeah. Huh? I yeah. don't know. No, that'd be true. Yeah, that'd be true, yeah. Right? I don't know why it took me. It out. sounds I don't good. know why I paused there. But yeah. It's <laughs> well, a... and, and I also was always, I always, you know, I always said French and Indian War, it's all, I always kind of studied it, but, but now that I think about it, you know, calling it the French and Indian War, clearly that's a title from a British perspective. It's, I guess you call it yeah. Britain-centric, I don't, you know. Yeah, I, we're I fighting know. the French and then the Indians. Right, you know, so. if, if, if you didn't have any idea of the conflict and you, you just heard it called the French and Indian, you'd be like, well, it's between... France and India? Is it is yeah, it Native yeah. Americans and, 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 and French? Uh, and then you would you miss the whole British thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and I think from what I've even looked at in George Washington's letters, um, that's kind of how they're referred to, like, kind of lowercase the French and Indian War. Like, okay. that wasn't the name for it, but that's just how they referred to it okay. at the time, you know. And historians aren't great at naming wars. Really? Anyways. Okay. I mean, First World War... <laughs> Second World War, you know, it's just the creativity. Battles, battle, well, the Great uh, War, you know. right? The Great War, you yeah. Know, the the whole thing of you know, well, we're never gonna have one like this again, you know. Right, but so. that's even a better name than the First World War. But the Great War, yeah. yeah. So yeah, um, so yeah, let's talk about George Washington's upbringing a little bit. Um, let's get this out of the way. He didn't cut down a cherry tree. That's a myth. What? Yeah, I actually learned about what? that. Um, you already, you already, you already, you're taking, you're yeah. taking this founding father myth. Let's get that out of the way. All the t-shirts, all the memes. Yeah. And you're just, you're just stripping them down just right away. Yeah. Just, yeah no fake. cherry tree. It's huh? totally fake. Yeah. Um, didn't happen. So, and that's not Shame. even, it's not even relevant. But I, I know someone's thinking it. So. <laughs> but I think you know. Um, as history teachers, we, we teach our students to contextualize. Sure. We, so we need to contextualize right. the world right. that Georgie Wash. Wash George. G-Dub. G-Dubs. I'm going to call him G-Dub. <laughs> uh, that G-Dub was uh, born into. So uh, his world was really shaped. Uh, his world, when we say his world, we were talking about Virginia. Okay. okay. Is he born in Virginia? Colonial Virginia, yep. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. he's not, I, he's, I he assumed, was not born in England. I just assumed he was born in, in England and, nope. and came over, you know, young man. Okay. No, and actually that would be a struggle for him later on when he, uh, he wanted to be a red coat. Uh, 
He even advocated for his men to have that uniform, and it was denied because he was a colonist. So already kind of a class, like an us and them kind yeah. of thing, right? Is is you're mm-hmm. well, you're still you're still an English citizen, but you're not quite. One you're, of yeah, us. you're, you're not no, quite, no, you're a colonist. You're yeah, a colonist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So um. Yeah. So that's even interesting to think about. But no. Do, do, do you think in hindsight, by the way, uh, <laughs> Britain looks back and they're like, man, we should have given them the red coat, like. <laughs> Like if only we'd been if you know <laughs> we could have prevented this entire revolution. <laughs> I don't know. Just give him the coat. Think about it though. Do you think Britain wanted to be tied to what else would happen in subsequent years in American history? No, it's okay. Touche, touche. <laughs> or maybe that could have prevented. I don't know. That's I don't know what if history just, right there? Just give him the coat, man. What just, if? <laughs> what if history right. is a dangerous right, path? We need to get a. We need to get. A we have a British teacher that we work with at our at our school. Maybe he could come on and, and speak to that. I think we need to walk in first day, all red. Yeah. Just straight lobster back in. Yeah. And just <laughs> just go see what happens. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> okay, so, so he's he's not born in Britain, which I just assumed. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. He's born in Virginia. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. And so his the the world of Virginia is uh, keep in mind like thirteen colonies, right? Like. Um, when was he born? Like 1740s. Uh-huh. Early 1740s. Right. I want to say 1742, 43. So, um, something like that. Uh, 32. 32. Wow. Way off there. 1732. Yeah, I get uh, my years mixed up. 1732 is, yeah. is when he's born. So, uh, Virginia is still wild. Okay. Parts of Virginia are considered the West. Now they're the West? The West. The West. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And so, like, so his dad, uh, James. Okay. James Washington. James Washington. Um, J-Dub. 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 Yeah. Um, J-Dub, um, he was one of the guys going to the West kind of buying up land. Okay. Um, and it was really lucrative for uh, gentlemen farmers like him who would do that because the tobacco uh, plantations near the coast, okay. they would eventually exhaust their soil and they'd be pushed to go further inland and buy land from those people. Oh, so getting ahead smart. of the, yeah, yeah, getting ahead of, of buying that the land. building the road in so. front of the car. Now, okay, so he's a gentleman farmer. So does that put him, just in terms of class of colonists, does that put him aristocracy... He's definitely not a commoner. If he, if he has the the capital, right. like, is he like gentry, where he's like that bubble between? I I, I think that's um, I don't know at this point in time in George Washington's younger years. I think by the time George is a little bit older and his father's older, they definitely have a lot of land. Okay, and he would definitely be they're doing okay. Maybe not aristocracy quite as much. Okay, because it's not like. Um, like, just from looking at George Washington's upbringing, he wasn't, like, he was educated, but not in the sense of, like, an aristocracy, like, the okay. kids are going off to school okay. somewhere else. Like, George Washington is, like, doing things. So he's not, he's he's not, his family isn't, like, truly, like, an old money kind of thing. It's fairly, fairly recent, their, their success in Virginia. Sure, I'm not sure about, like, so James Washington's, like, his father, sure. or anything like that. Sure. I'd be interested to kind of see... Uh, maybe there is some money there. Because how was James even able to buy that land in the first place? Right. Mm. So yeah, they're definitely mm. not poor. We it's could say that. Doing okay. Yeah, if you can buy land, you're doing all right. Right. And they would especially do all right when the tobacco moves towards them. Absolutely. Making money they're doing, that. They're going to do great. Turn a profit. Okay. Yeah, so um, 
So a great thing Calloway uh, brought up in his book is that um, George Washington uh, lives in a world that was uh, shaped by the labor of African people on the land of a dispossessed Indian people. Okay. And so that's kind of the context um, of Virginia. It's an Indian world. Um, the labor is done by mostly um, on the plantations by African slaves, some indentured servitude there. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, in that time in Virginia, um, the Native American population is, is they're, they're being pushed out. Okay. Um, either by disease or by British colonial rule. Now, when we talk about Native Americans, you know, we talk about the tribes, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, when I think of Virginia tribes, all I really think of, you know, a Disney movie, right? I think of I think of Pocahontas's tribe, the the Powhatan tribe. I mean, what what tribes are we talking about? Are they still around? Are they are they gone due to disease? I mean, who? What are the groups? The big groups we're talking about here? Yeah, no, I think the Powhatan are some of the early ones as they push further west, and as British colonial rule really starts to grow, and French, uh, the, the, the fur trade and all these things, as these European pressures are just put on these Native American peoples, they start to, their boundaries and like their nat nation boundaries are really much more dynamic than the Europeans. The Europeans have really okay. rigid, like, sure. you're British, you're French, or you're one or the other. Right. But Native American groups would often ally themselves with each other. Um, so the big one that would eventually... Um, definitely around the the area of like Pennsylvania, okay, and um, truly the around this, yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, or in the the whole like Ohio country, um, you have the Iroquois, okay, the Six Nations that sure. come together, um, Federation, right, and so they end up allying with the the British during the French and Indian War. Then you have Algonquin speaking uh, Native Americans, um, who are much. Um, Algonquin is like a a language, okay. from what I understand. Okay. It's it's a, a language that links. Uh, many different uh, indigenous peoples. That term before. And, and they are allied um, with the French through the, the fur trade. And so, um, yeah, so you can already see kind of the rifts there. kind of, uh, there. yeah, there's some teams forming here. Yeah, yeah. and so, um, and it's, it's so easy just to oversimplify the uh, Native American uh, groups and uh, alliances at the time. But sure. But sure. they're always shifting. And right. that's what Washington would see in his... Well, he wouldn't see it. Right. <laughs> but it's yes. what was happening. Happening is around him. These shifting dynamics um, had a huge impact. So, he, so he's growing up in this world. You know, his, his father is buying land. Yeah. You still have a Native American presence. You have an African presence. But you also mm -hmm. see kind of two of the, the classic European powers who have a history of conflict, right? Yeah. And kind of the, the other groups kind of forming around them, right? Yes, so I think a good word is it's destabilization. Yeah. <laughs> In the region, Say it's least, yeah. being destabilized. Um, an international, these are Callaway's words, by the way, an international, intercolonial, intertribal, and private competition. So companies like the yeah. Ohio company. Yeah, making you know, money off this. Yeah. Yeah. They, all of those together destabilized the region for years. Before Washington appears on the scene. So that's leading up to Washington. G-dubs. Yeah, this is all happening before he even arrives on the scene. Before he's even born. Um, it's so complex. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a mess. Yeah, it's um, super interesting just to try to 
wrap your mind around. So anyways, maybe that makes things less clear. Right. <laughs> but things are things are kind of chaotic. The, right. The, right. Uh, uh, Virginia is kind of a chaotic place. The, the British colonies are... It's not clean. Boundaries aren't clean. Sure. Um, alliances aren't... Are, are very temporary. Yeah, there's not a lot of permanent it's, alliances. It's like it's just a lot of shift. Sh- it's dynamic. And we'll it's again, dynamic. we'll see an example of that in one of Washington's adventures here. Okay, so he's growing up. He's in Virginia, which is destabilized. Yeah. Um, how do how does he become to be the Washington we know? That's okay. Awesome. So his dad, a farmer, planter. Probably more accurately, because he would not do most of the work. They would eventually get people to, enslaved people, to do sure. the work on the plantations. Sure. Um, but he invested in Western lands. And so a part of living and moving into Western lands is it's unknown territory. Yeah. So this idea of surveying, being a surveyor, going into kind of this uh, empty land and being able to kind of mark out and set out boundaries and, and scouting out lands and territories and who lives there and those sorts of things that come with surveying. Um, so, actually, when George Washington was uh, 16 years old, um, he is invited to travel along with this uh, surveying party. And that's when he first meets Native Americans. He's how old? 16. He's a young, he's a young guy. Yeah, yeah. Although, I guess if you think about how long people live, though, I mean... You, you, he's middle-aged. <laughs> gotta get after him, no. man. <laughs> yeah, 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 I gotta... You know that's <laughs> you, you haven't done this before 16? You gotta, you, you know... Yeah, you know. After life could be gone, you know. <laughs> well, and they didn't really have the term teenager. Okay. Yet, from what I understand. Yeah. So, like, you're, yeah. either, you're either a child or you're an adult. So, that, that's definitely, he's definitely an, an adult. An interesting thing to keep in mind, you know. We're, we're making the past dope again. The important thing to keep in reference is, is either you're a kid or you're a grown-up. And, uh, you know, life expectancy being so low. Man. Let's get after it. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you don't have a lot of time. So he's invited by um, Thomas Lee, I think is the name of the, the, the guy that invites him on this surveying party. So he goes with them. Um, from there, he learns how to survey. Um, eventually, I'm, we're going to kind of come back to some of this later. But his father dies, right? And when his father dies, he, he leaves uh, his, his kids land. So um, he leaves to George Washington Ferry Farm. And everyone's like, cool, fair farm, but wait, isn't it called Mount Vernon? Um, Mount Vernon wasn't left to George Washington. Okay. It was left to his older brother. Ooh. Um, and then after his older brother died, it was left to his wife. I think his wife's name was Anne. Okay. His older brother's wife. And then I think George Washington rented it from her, mm. and then either she died or ended up selling it to him. Something. Anyways. It's it, a lot of death here. And then it, uh, he was able to obtain Mount Vernon okay. eventually. Yeah, and so I've that's, been there. It's beautiful. I mean, it's you've great. been there. I've been there. Uh, I was in middle school, but yeah, they're pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, nice. Pretty. It's. Uh, I didn't know the history behind that. I just, just yeah. Thought, I thought I thought he bought it himself. Yeah. Just outright. Yeah. No. Okay. Because it was it was the uh, the best, and it went to the oldest son. So you kind of right. Of course. Right. It's, you know, yeah, it's, right, it's yeah, the yeah, bigger yeah. plantation there. Things, right. So, so this dude, he's not even twenty yet. Teenager. Oh, man. He has been immersed in land business. Right. Um, he's a landowner, plantation owner. Yeah. And he Ooh, is, heard that right. He's George a, Washington, plantation owner. Yeah. And, uh, and he's a surveyor. He's learning how to survey. Okay. So, Up and what were you doing in high school? Uh, yeah. You, you were doing a lot more than me. Yeah, I can, not I know that. that. No, no. I was, uh, I think I was, uh, not that. No, I was a, I was a 
I can tell you exactly what I was doing. Yeah, I it's was, uh, three words: Call of Duty. Call, yeah. <laughs> I think I was. Uh, I, yeah, I was. I was in drama one as a junior, which is uh, definitely a freshman class. So that was, <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this this is G Dubs we're talking about, though. So I mean, and, and I think can't this expect is why anything less. People look back and they're like, "Man, he's so like, look what he's doing." And this is what kind of puts him on a pedestal. I okay. Think. Yeah. At such a young age, he has so much responsibility. Yeah. Um, but it's not totally uncommon in that time period. Sure. But it's definitely uncommon now. Right. Oh, for and sure. And so we look back oh, and like, sure. man, I. George Washington makes me feel like a terrible person. Like, what was I doing? What was I doing? <laughs> yeah. But wait, he's going to lay it on even thicker. <laughs> right, right. Uh, we're going to see what he does at the age of 21. Oh, we out of year. Let's see what happens. And so, yeah. and so I'm 26. About 24, to be 27. 24. Going on 25. Yeah, yeah. so he's going to do a lot more as a younger person than we are. we got to step it up, Ethan. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. let's go. Uh, sur- where can we survey? we got to survey, and uh, we can skip the whole plantation thing, but let's. Uh, yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's, let's definitely do that. Yeah, that's n- it's not good. Let's make that very clear after the podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's that's his kind of upbringing, his childhood. That's Virginia at the time. That's that's him, and he eventually becomes a landowner, a surveyor, and we'll talk about a little bit of a military man, a man mm-hmm. of ambition. Joins up. He does. Joins up. So, yeah. All right. So, uh, let's talk about uh, what happened to George Washington when he first encountered Native Americans. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. So, um, I mentioned uh, when he was 16, he went on that surveying trip. Right. Um, yeah. It's a guy named, so 1747 is the year. And there's this man named Thomas Lee, and he gets uh, with these other guys um, and creates this group called the Ohio Company of Virginia. And <laughs> I love that. I love that branding, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, from oh, Dave's yeah. perspective, two states just shoving in there, right? Right. So, like, in this time period, like, anything, any group that has company in the name is right. probably not good. Like, they are trying to basically, um, it's, it's, it's... They're trying to gain resources at right. any cost. They're trying to get money. From, trying to make money. Cost. Right, right. Company, and a lot right. of these companies have, like, permission from governments to okay. do anything yeah. in order to do that. Yeah. Like, they have, like, so it's, in some sense, they're almost like, in my opinion, like mercenaries. Mercenaries, yeah. They could do anything. And so, yeah, he... he License um, to kill. So I don't know a lot about the Ohio company, per se. I haven't researched them a lot, but just in general. So anyways, um, G-Dub goes with Thomas Lee... Um, or on this on this trek to start surveying lands west, um, and this is still like Virginia, like you know, and so um, anyway, so they go and on this uh, on this travel, he he meets his first Indians, and so actually this brings me to uh, some uh, documents I have from Washington. Let's dive in, man. Yeah, so G-Dub if docs. I can, can I read some G-Dub's primary source material? Docs. So okay. I won't read everything. Um, it's old, uh, older English, and uh, it, you know it might be a little uh, dry. But I'll read some snippets here. So um, he, so think about George Washington. He's a meticulous like journaler. 
Okay. Like, he journals everything. The details guy. And so, like, it's funny because, like, people that study George Washington, they know something is wrong when he only addresses something in, like, one sentence. Um, They're like, he's hiding something. It's a warning sign. Yeah, it's a warning what sign. What actually went down. Yeah, yeah. so, because um, he just is so meticulous in his writing. So, anyway, so even at a, at a young age, as a teenager, he's writing stuff on his trip. So, a couple things I noticed in a diary entry from March 23rd. Of 1748, um, they run into, uh, he says, about 30-odd Indians coming from war. Um, We had some liquor with us, which we gave them in part to elevate their spirits, put them in the humor of dancing, of whom we had a war dance. And then he describes what they did for this war dance. Okay. But even off the bat, like, George Washington grew up, oh, so when you meet Native Americans and you trade with them, what do you give them? Liquor. Liquor. We're already diving into that stereotype, hitting it hard on the head. Seriously, but even later on, like, in some of his letters, I was was noticing, he was like, I wish we had some liquor. Like, you know, like, that's that's, that's the secret, like, in with this group. But he knew it, because he said, we're giving them liquor to put them in the spirits, and they started to dance. So he knew... What that was about, right? Is a, is about you know, not only the the idea of exchanging, right? Kind of the the presents, the gifts, You're taking advantage but of. What kind of present are you giving them? Because you can give them wampum belts sure, or, or right. whatever else right. or materials, but no liquor, <laughs> right? Like yeah, right. Some manipulation there. I think definitely manipulation. I think, uh, yeah, or an awareness of that. I think he's aware. He's sixteen. He's not a kid. So. Yeah, but then, so here's where we start to see, and keep in mind, he's only 16 years old, so, but he does have this experience on April 4th of 1748, and I'll read this whole thing, just so you can kind of have context. He says, Monday 4th, this morning, Mr. Fairfax left us with with intent to go down to the mouth of the branch. We did two lots, and was attended by a great company of people, men, women, and children, that attended us through the woods as it went shooing there. Um, and then antic and tricks. So there's some removals there, things that couldn't be translated. What he's saying is there were Native American people there that were traveling with us, but then they were were um, an- annoying them with antics and tricks. Mm, this okay. next line, he says, I really think they seem to be as ignorant a set of people as the Indians. So he's 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 making this comparison of just... Ignorant. Right. Yeah, he yeah. has this assumption already. Yeah, yeah. There's kind of almost like it's like a caste system, right? It's, it's there's a level here. He's 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 definitely not putting this 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 new group on a, on a on a high pedestal. Mm-mm. Definitely not. No, and and he, you already see in his mindset um, that he views Native Americans as kind of ignorant as yeah. a whole, and that will change yeah. in later writings and, and especially during his war experiences. That'll shift some, but from a young age, right. Give These them, are his first encounters. They're ignorant. Give them liquor. That's that's step one, step two, right? You know, I think, you know, our, our first contact, our first impression of people really impact how we view them forever. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is how he interpreted this culture, these these, these cultures, sure. plural, and um, blanketed them together as Indians. I was, was going to say, it is definitely a, uh, a oversimplification. And, and, and that's just the surface protection, you know. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So let me read this quote from Calloway. Okay? So Calloway wrote in his book, I think this is important, it says, The young Virginian seemed to hold an equal disdain the people 
whose lands he would take, and the people he would recruit to, to rent those lands. It was an attitude he would find difficult to shake. As president, in addition to regarding frontier settlements as no better than Indians, he would frequently blame them for his real estate troubles in the nation's Indian wars. Wow. Yeah, so Callaway suggesting, like, this, this interaction here when he's 16. This is foundational. It's foundational, yeah. it's, and it's reflected into his presidency, which we'll get into, like, Right. You know, later podcasts. You know, the, the man, the myth, the legend, but right? foreshadowing, right? Adding some stuff here, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Washington's a person. Uh, here, he's a, he's a teenager, you know, he's a young man. Right. So, yeah, anyways, um, that's his first encounter, and that's how Washington viewed Native Americans, okay? So, he, he gets back from the trip, and, and he gets more experience surveying. Thomas Lee sends him on another surveying adventure a couple years later, um, when he would be, what, uh, 18? Um, he, so young. Yeah, I know. So young. So he has incredible ambition. Um, and he, he's building a lot of confidence. And he really wants to be in the military. He wants to be in the militia. And there's this opening, and he basically talks his way into this position to be a military leader. Okay. A leader, not just yeah. not okay. So he's in charge. Like, he's wow. not the guy in charge. The come up. But he... Um, yeah, so there's a lot going on. My, my, the main thing I'm trying to explain is he has incredible confidence and ambition. I was going to say, what what describes an American better than just blindly confidence with no actual ability to do it? like Or, or no actual like. Oh, man. like Just, just blatant, I can do that. Right. right. Yes. And if you ended the story right here, it'd be like, wow. Like, look, you know, look what that gets you. Like, right. 21 right. years old. Yeah. Landowner. Yep. Surveyor. Yep. Military leader. Yeah. 21 years old. Right. Yeah. Sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty great. Yeah, he made it. Right. Um, too bad the story doesn't end here. Yeah. Um, you know, it's talking about, you know, kind of the, the, the embodiment of American attitude. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's some consequences to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Big time. <laughs> um, it's funny because, speaking of his confidence, he claims he's given this nickname... But historians debate whether he was given this nickname by Native Americans. They think he adopted it himself. Ooh, brand um, himself. Yeah, so watch me butcher this, okay? Okay, let's hear it. So, yeah. Cano uh, Tocarius. Cano Can't say it again? Cano Tocarius. Cano Tocarius. you got to slur it faster. Cano Tocarius. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Which means... I don't even know... Let me Google this real quick. What Native American language is that? I think it's Seneca. Okay. If I remember right. Um, come on, Google. Anyways, what it means is town destroyer or town taker. So, does he try to, in his writings, does he make it seem like the natives gave him that? And historians just yes. think that... Yes, no, he says that in his letters. He okay. says he's given that actually by a Seneca leader oh. that we'll talk about in a little bit, oh. who had a lot of influence in his life. Uh, so he says he's he gave the it town to destroyer, which is not a yeah. favorable thing if you're a Native American. And, and Calloway has some things to say about this. So, okay, actually, let's stop. Let's read what Washington said. Ah, um, from G-Dubs himself. Yeah, from himself. Yeah, so this is him talking um, in 1753, so this is some years later. Um, but yeah, it says, it was on this occasion that he and George Washington speaking in a third person. Sure, love that. That happens sometime. That. <laughs> um, was named by the half-king, referring to one of the Native American leaders. Um, and the tribes of the nations with whom he treated, Canotacarius, in English the town taker, 
which being na which name being registered in their manner and communicated to other nations of Indians, has been remembered by them ever since in all their transactions with him during the late war. This is George Washington speaking about himself, about, himself. about being being given this nickname and in this reputation among Native Americans, mm. which he would live up to right in later years. So he did that. But when he's this young man, and, and you'll find out by a story we'll talk about in a little bit, like, how, wow, who would give him this nickname? So he talks himself into a military officer position. Yes. Brains himself. Yes. Right. He, right. yes. The ambition and the, that's smart. It's something. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying it's necessarily like. Like, correct. Right. 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 But it's brilliant. Yeah. You know. Sure. Um. And so, um, yeah, that's that's what he's doing. And so, um, the 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 man, the half king, the Native American leader, um, who who is an Iroquois leader, Seneca leader. His name is Tanagrisen. Tanagrisen. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, again, yeah, and I, I, ninety nine percent chance I am mispronouncing <laughs> everything that I would do. Um, so you know, but anyways, he has enormous influence on uh, G Dub. G Dub, and this is supposedly the leader that gave G Dub this nickname. But after the story, I, I don't buy it. Okay, and I'll, I don't know. Maybe you, we'll, we'll, we'll see, see if you buy it. We'll see. All right. So Cal yeah. Take so let's let's kind of segue into the next part of this conversation where we're going to talk about. This a skirmish that happens between the French and the and the British and the oh, impact we're that heating has. up here. Seven years war here we come. All right, so let's uh let's let's talk about um, Washington's first big. Um, Encounter as a military leader. Right. That he talked himself into. That he talked himself Branded into. Branded himself as the town destroyer. He's trying to build up this town reputation. Destroyer. I mean, well, he's, yeah, he's trying to build a whole just backstory here. And I it's going to blow up in his face. Ooh, I like this. It's going to blow up this in his face. This kind of challenges the whole narrative of the, the hero myth oh, of yeah. George Washington. Yeah. Brilliant general. He's a... Brilliant president. Modest man. Cherry tree dropper, you know. And he comes out on the losing end. Ooh. In a bad way. Tell me. <laughs> in a bad way. Okay. So, um, the o Ohio Company, right? Okay. The Lieutenant Governor, uh, Robert Dinwiddie. Okay. Great name. He, he sends G-Dub on a mission. G-Dub. Um, George Washington is to deliver a formal letter demanding France to abandon its forts and claims in Ohio country. So, so yeah, go ahead. He's speaking for all of Britain. Right? In a way. By delivering this? Or at least for the, I guess for so, the governor. Yeah. Yeah. For, right? Yeah. And again, he, he talked himself into this officer role. So, is, does he have the credentials to do that? That's a good... <laughs> yes. No, he's yes. totally unqualified. Even Calloway <laughs> says that. Like, he has no... Like, <laughs> even though he's done surveying, he doesn't have any experience being a military leader in Indian country. Right. But him, he he is the town troll. He's, but he has no experience. But he has no experience. He, um, you know, and it's it's actually on this adventure where he um, he claims he's given that nickname. So he doesn't have that nickname yet. Yeah, okay. going into he's this, he's gonna give it to himself. Okay. Yeah, so he doesn't have the nickname yet, but he's supposedly this is when that happens. Okay. okay. Um, but yeah, so he's totally unqualified. <laughs> 
But Again, essentially what he is... American way. So right? here's his job. To deliver a letter. Ambitious guy. He's wanting, he's, he's going to want to do much more than deliver a letter. Right? Okay. So, um, and, we'll, and we'll see exactly where that leads him. So he's totally unqualified. Um, and he misunderstood uh, Native American culture. Right. Um, the importance of uh, just different customs. And there's this one interaction where he's actually, when he's on his way back from delivering this letter, um, where he totally bypasses this the, a Native American queen in a village. Oh, no. She has grace with him and tells him, like, hey, by the way, like, you need to exchange, like, Don't presents with me. Right. Like, but she totally could have just humiliated him. So he's just blindly on, like, Team Whiskey here, and, and he's yeah, just... Yeah, he's on a mission. And yeah, so yeah. a great thing that the, the book talks about is how George Washington is on, like, a, a very straight path. He's headed straight for the French fort to okay. deliver this message. Right there. But he says, in Indian country, in the Indian world, when you're traveling with Native Americans, you don't travel in a straight line. Sure. You know, what should be like a 70 or 60 mile trip might take 70, 80 miles right. because you go out of your way interacting with people. Sure. Right? Along the way. Because sure. if they hear you went on a trip, but you didn't stop to exchange pleasantries oh, yeah. or. How rude. Or, you know, that's wrong. Right. Well, and you like, talk, how dare you? And you talked about how, um, how flexible. Um, these partnerships, these allegiances could be. So if you go out of the way, right, you could lose a whole tribe, right? You could. It's all about relationships. Relationships. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. And you have this kind of collision of Western and Eastern thinking. Right. And even though like Native Americans are in what we call the West, the the, the cultural thinking is much more Eastern. And what I mean by that is it's much more uh, communal. Okay. Um, and relationship based. Um, Western society and thinking is very rigid. Sure. Well, like well, like land, right? Like like this is boundaries. This, this is our land, and time that is your land. Yes. And we're gonna give you this letter because we think that that fort that you say is yours should be ours. And, yeah. Right. Very rigid. Yeah. So Western and Eastern, that's how that's been explained to me. I don't know if there's other terminology for that. Um, uh, back in this time period, they would have called it civilized and uncivilized. Right. Taming the West. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, he was totally frustrated. Like, they, like they're like they not going the fastest routes. They're right. stopping. And, um, and and he gets the runaround sometimes by these yeah. Native Americans. And he's just very frustrated. He So he totally misunderstands right. Native American culture right. and customs. Sure. And he's not very patient. Right. Well, he, 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 he is the town destroyer, not the town greeter. Yeah, and I he guess. wants to right. fulfill his mission. Right. He wants to climb the ladder. Right. A man of ambition. Right. right? Um. And so, yeah, so that brings us to this, this man. The, he's called the half-king, Tanagreeson, who's a Seneca. He's adopted by the Seneca tribe. Okay. Um, he wasn't born into the Seneca tribe, but he's adopted into the Seneca tribe and becomes a leader. Um, and he's traveling with Washington to deliver this letter to the French. Okay. Um, and so, um, yeah, he's one of the guys there. He's, he's in his 50s. Okay. Um, past the prime of his life, yeah. but the way that he's described, like he's he's a warrior. Okay, he's big, tattooed, uh, fierce. This guy has respect. He's a, he, he and, and Washington's twenty one years old, <laughs> an experienced military <laughs> officer. Talked himself into a role that he didn't deserve. Yeah, and so think of like this man. Talk about like seniority, maybe, or just like. The respect you need to have, but the way that Washington Washington speaks to this man as his peer, yeah, it makes you wonder. Like, like, does Washington just totally like bypass the whole like, oh crap, like I'm in over, I'm in too deep, you know? 
from what we have in his journals, he, he doesn't say that. And with how meticulous and of a journaler he was, sure. like, sure. he doesn't say anything about that. I think he really believes, like, he's on equal footing. Right. Well, he believes he's civilized. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Right. That's a whole nother thing. Oof. And so, like, even so there's this interaction where they're trying to wait, wait up, meet up with some other Iroquois leaders, like some of the Delaware and some others. And they're having to wait because these right. Native American leaders... Um, want to bring these wampum belts in exchange to prove that um, they've broken ties with the French and they want to kind of be loyal to Britain. And, and George Washington is frustrated because he doesn't want to have to wait for them to bring these presents to okay. prove it. He's like, you can just, like, it's okay. Right. But they're like, no, 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 no. Right. Like, you're, and what Callaway says is really important. Like, um, wampum belts hold more weight than words. Wow. So it, it's, it's, you're walking the walk, not just talking. Right? Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it's a sign that, like, it's for real. Right. And so, um, yeah, so, anyways, in this whole exchange, Ohio country, to kind of back into some context, it is a super lucrative price. You got the fur trade, you got trees, you got new territory that's being competed over. There's certainly a reason why a war could break out between two competing yes. European powers. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of resource. Yeah, right? you have the French coming down kind of from Canada, like the St. Lawrence River Valley kind of coming sure, down to Ohio sure. country. And then you have the British coming in from the Atlantic. Pushed west. And then in the middle, though, right. you have all the Native American communities that are being pushed into the interior, into yeah. Ohio country. So it's a powder keg. Yeah. And so um, you have the Algonquin... Uh, Native Americans who are rivals to the Iroquois, sure. the Six Nations, sure. being kind of thrust together in some ways. And then you have the relationships that they're trying to balance with these European colonial powers. It is a mess. Well, we talked about how, how, how complicated it was in Virginia. I mean, that Ohio area especially, just I mean, yeah. even more so. I mean, So there's these shifting dynamics. Dynamics so... are always shifting, like, all the time. And it doesn't fit into George Washington's mindset of, like, rigid boundaries right, like right. you're an ally or you're not an ally let's go directly to the fort and deliver the letter yeah i am an officer <laughs> it just it just collides with that so um through a series of events um george washington thought he'd be able to pass off the letter um to someone else who would deliver it to the french fort he has to take it all the way they go all the way deliver it to the french and the French officer there simply hands a letter back to George Washington and says, take this back to Dinwiddie. <laughs> so he's been reduced to an errand boy. He just holds the letter. He just <laughs> So he's traveled. Oh, and this is like in the winter. Wow, it's right? brutal then. It's brutal. It's, it's cold, right? Right. Uh, Ohio country's not a warm place. It's cold. It's brutal. He's traveled this trip. He thinks of himself pretty highly as this, you know, soon-to-be-known town destroyer. And he's an errand boy. <laughs> he's going to want to do something, right? He's going to want to brand, brand himself. And he's going to try. He's going to try. So um, he goes back. I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here a lot. Um, but he goes back and he, he, he gives it to Dinwiddie. Um, and the French deny their orders to get out of Ohio country. And so they want to go back. And start reinf- start garrisoning at some of the British forts. Mm. And getting ready. Getting prepared. Getting prepared. Right. Lock and load. Um, yeah. And so, um, I think it was on the way back from this trip, I, I forgot to write down the note, but on the way back from this trip, there's this interesting encounter where 
um, all of a sudden the Native American leaders just decide to stay back because one got injured. And so it's George Washington and one other English guy are traveling with this Native American. And the Native American turns on him and shoots at them. What? And they take him, and, but they, he doesn't hit him, so they arrest, they take him prisoner, they don't kill him. But he's your guy. But they I don't mean. understand the pressure that Native Americans are under to, from their perspective, like, you're being pressed in by these competing European powers. Sure. Which one is stronger? Right. Which one's going to hold to their word? Yeah. And from George Washington's interaction with these Native Americans, he's not very, um, uh, what's the term, like, flexible. Right, yeah. He's, well, he's, he's already kind of, I guess, dissing on their, on their culture, the, the, the importance of giving gifts and taking yeah. time to visit and have, you know, interactions. And he bypassed the queen. And, uh, I mean, so he's, he's breaking the thing. And you, yeah. you got you to gotta understand just the, the context here of, you know, Europeans come over, uh, the, the Native Americans are decimated by disease. I mean, we're talking millions. We're talking at, at this point, we're 1747, right? We're, what year are we in now? No, no, no. We're into the uh, 50s. early 50s. Okay, like 52, early 50s. I want to say. So at this point, I mean, we are talking about Native American tribes, just a shell. I mean, really, a shell is a generous term of, of what mm. they used to be. Mm-hmm. And so you got to feel for the Native American tribes. Um, you know, who do you pick? Who do you side with? Um, yeah. Is it going to matter? I mean, all this is over. Are, or are they going to say, oh, cool, you helped us, but now we're coming for you. So yeah. you can't really, it's hard to, when you put yourself in their shoes, you really start to see, like, if 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 the bridge guy who you were aligned with is being real wishy-washy, right, it'd be just as easy to jump to the French, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So these two huge, imagine like coming into your door, like yeah. two big seven foot brawny guys come in and they, they're having a stare down with each other and they say, we're going to fight. You guys need to pick whose side are you on? Like, right. What? Well, like, uh, yeah. That's really over, I guess, simplifying a really complex Absolutely. history. Absolutely. But I think just the emotional reaction of like, sure. you're in the middle of it. Sure. You, you are going to be involved in it. What side are you going to be on? Right. Right? Right. And so, um, yeah, just the immense pressure that the Native American groups were under was crazy. And they're trying to manipulate relationships in favor for themselves. And I think this I whole think, time. Of course you would, right? Yeah. You, you want to improve on your situation, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> they have Absolutely. their own world they're trying right. to defend. Trying, trying to, trying to uh, upkeep. I mean, if it's been decimated already, let's try to keep something there. Right. Yeah. And so, so the guy turns on him. What happens yes. next? And so they take him prisoner. Anyways, they go back to Dinwiddie, um, give Dinwiddie the letter that says the French denied the orders. Dinwiddie sends George Washington uh, with 186 men okay. to go garrison at a fort, right? And he's, suppo- he's going ahead of another force that's going to reinforce them okay. before they're supposed to engage the French. So the war is going down. We are drawn Hasn't lines. started yet, but it's lines are drawn. Lines are drawn. Yes. Not supposed to engage the French right. yet. Do not engage, G-dubs. Wait for backup. G-dubs, wait for backup. Do not engage. G-dub, been reduced to an errand boy, right. wants to prove himself. I mean, he is the town destroyer. Right. Right. And what's going on, and what I haven't really talked about so far, the half-king, Tana Grison, um, is has this rivalry with the French Indians. Is okay. what they're called, the, the Native Americans. Right. The Algonquins that ally themselves with the French. The French Indians. He's competing with them. Right. He doesn't like the French either. Right. Doesn't necessarily like the British, but the British are more right. in support of them. Right. He's manipulating 
young Washington, and he knows Washington's inexperienced. Sure. He's manipulating Washington into a position to start a conflict. He wants Washington to fight the French. Yeah. He, he's wanting Right. Because he knows, like, they're not going to be able to do it. They need the European power. Sure. So, oh, man, it's so crazy. He's just, he's just working them into this spot where he has yes. no choice but to, I'm guessing, engage, yes. right? Yes, and thinking, like, they traveled together. They had conversations together, so yeah. they got to know each other. Sure. Yeah, Donna Greeson, like, he came to a point, like, he came to understand. Right. Like, okay, here's this kid. I'm his guide. Let him guide me for myself. Yeah, right? like, yeah, yeah total, totally. So, anyways, what ends up happening, you're not going to be surprised at all. At, at, at this fort, they, they are encountered by the French, and this is where things get murky, and there's different recordings. Essentially, what okay. ends up happening, um, GW uh, gets some information um, about uh, the French that he distorts sure. to the Native Americans because he's trying to keep Native American favor. Throughout this entire thing... Everybody's competing to keep each other's favor. Right. The confusion here. It's so confusing. I know. Immense. So yeah. he's so Tana Greason's manipulating George Washington yeah. to keep his favor. George Washington is manipulating information that Indians are being given in order to keep their favor. Um, Washington wants a fight as well because he wants to prove himself. Right. Wants wants to up his ante. Right. What's yeah. up happening is a French uh, a group of French soldiers show up um, and. The, um, the British troops, the uh, the uh, Ohio Company troops that right. George Washington's leading, open fires, uh, kills the captain, and the captain who is a Frenchman. I'm going to butcher his name is Jumonville. Okay. Okay. Uh, for the French people speaking out there, uh, you please correct me on that. Um, but anyways, the French uh, uh, commander is killed with nine other French soldiers. Ooh. Now, does then, George Washington order this? This this firing? He Do we know? fires the first shot. No Reportedly, Washington fired the first Ooh. shot, and then they're scouts by the Native Americans. The French, the French, right. and it said in one report it was said Tenet Greason came on the leader um, and attacked him with a hatchet and washed his. Hand. This is going to be um, disclaimer. This is going to be yeah. a bit gory. Okay, right. Cover washed your kids' ears, folks. In a ceremonial kind of way, washed his hands with his brain. And what that's supposed to have signified is, like, we're washing our hands of any French ties. Ooh. Reportedly, so, so that's what that meant. Again, with the, the actions meaning so much. Oh, man. Right. right. And, and, and there's... Yeah, it's brutal. I, I think it was an Irish soldier who reported that, a private, and who just, like, was totally disgusted. Like, right. <laughs> What's he doing? And it just it reinforced <laughs> this idea of that Native Americans are, I mean, use the S word, savages. Sure. That's the word In they their use, eyes. Right. In their right. eyes. Um, but it meant so much more to people that have been manipulated by European powers for generations, absolutely, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so that's reportedly, that's what happened. But it's it's almost agreed on that Washington fired the first shot. Right, and they attacked the, they attacked the French. Yeah, and they they beat them. And this starts a conflict in Ohio this, country. This starts the war. And it starts the seven years, it starts a global war. So the... G-Dub starts a global, he's the guy. Yes. Who manip, he's the... Manipulated himself into this role. Yes. Aaron Boy. Yes. Do not engage Aaron Boy. Starts global war. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. G dub. Yep. From the French perspective, the uh, French cap- the French leader, uh, Jumonville, um, when he showed up at the fort, he was reading a letter and calling for a ceasefire. 
That's the French report. There was one French soldier who uh, escaped, and that's right. what he said was happening right. when George Washington opened fire on them. <laughs> uh, we, what, what happened? Right. There what wasn't going to be a war. There's going to be like, oh, let's, let's, let's talk this out. What happened? Did George Washington start a global war? I think he started a global war. This is what Calloway says in his book. He says that Washington is often credited with beginning the skirmish, which leads to the Seven Years' War. Right. But some historians say it's actually Tanagreson, the Seneca leader, the Native American leader that manipulated Washington into this place to start the war. Knowing Washington will fire first. Yes. Right. Knowing he's inexperienced. Knowing he's young. Maybe a little bit naive. Yes. Man. And he's playing three-dimensional chess here. He's... Absolutely. Um, and so... Actually, after the war, this is how another confirmation that we know that George Washington was wanting a fight, right? Um, it was after the war that he has this little, you call it a sound bite from his journal. Okay. A sound bite from his journal. And he said there was something charming in the sound of bullets flying. He likes war. There's something charming in the sound. And that's been such a, and I say sound bite, yeah. to characterize young Washington. Right. He wants to fight. He yeah. wants to prove himself right. as a leader, military right. leader. Um, he's excited by war. Maybe he hasn't really seen it, do you think? And that's why it excites him? Probably, yeah. yeah right. I think a young man. Uh, prove I think himself, not seeing it. right? Sure. Yeah. And then you have the 50-year-old Native American leader who's seen war right. Right. and knows the cost of it and knows what it means to start a war. He says, I'm going to get this young guy <laughs> to be the one to take all the, right. the heat. So what ends up happening, it totally backfires on everyone. Washington... Um, what ends up happening, um, he ends up going and building a fort, um, basically a small little palisade they call Fort Necessity. Okay. And they're going to hold up their... Great name. Fort Necessity. We need one, guys. <laughs> and they it. get besieged by fr- the French. And what ends oh, up happening right. is uh, Washington ends up signing the first surrender to the French. It's not like I started a global war and then found myself unable to successfully fight a global war. So he comes out a loser. Oh, he's a loser. He comes out a loser from his first conflict. You heard that. He surrendered. George Dubbs. But the French let him go. They let him go. Right. So is that because of his status or his assumed status as an officer that he's... It's kind of the conduct of among leaders. Okay. So, like, the... British and French military leaders were communicating with each other. Okay. Uh, I don't know if parlay is the right term for that. I mean, probably, probably But yeah. like this, the gentlemen, uh, right. the chivalry. That's the way to fight war, right? Yeah. How you conduct yourself. Okay. You, yeah, if you, hey, we defeated you, you're uh-huh, surrounded, you want, you sign lost. a surrender, walk away with your tail between your legs. Sure. And that's what Washington did. Right. Tana Greeson, disappointed, wanted Washington to fight and defeat the French. Right. Now by himself. Washington surrendered in God. Now, oh, you have a ton of grease in. Old school. Didn't work out for him either. So, um, yeah. So, that's Washington's military blunder. And that leads Loser. to him um, starting the Seven Years' War. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think this is a good place to transition into... What are some takeaways? What do we learn some about takeaways. Washington's disposition oh, towards Native Americans? Gotta be careful. Can't start a global war. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it.
now that we have all the new information on uh, on Mr. George Washington, Georgie yeah. Wash, Washy George, <laughs> G Dubs, the man himself, uh, we're gonna move into this will be a, a segment pretty regular in our podcast. We're calling it takeaways. Takeaways. Uh, kind of well, yeah. yeah, what we're kind of walking out of here with. Uh, what are we taking away? Well, yeah, what are we taking away? Exactly, exactly. So there's a lot of a lot of new knowledge I dropped. Number one, I mean. George Washington started the first global war. Yeah. And, yeah. like, it didn't look good on him. Like, it, that wasn't his job. No. It happened. No. <laughs> it, went, it went down. <laughs> yeah, so, have you heard of, it makes me think about Winston Churchill and his whole World War One Gallipoli campaign. Yes. That ruined his reputation. Right. That's basically Washington. Washington's reputation yeah, I, was like ruined before it started. Yeah, just but then he has flash this, in the pan. He just he just comes out smelling like a rose somehow. That's a great analogy because they both come out to be these huge. I mean, huge leaders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cal- and Callaway calls him like like the original comeback kid. Comeback kid. <laughs> he does because <laughs> I mean, so that's a huge blunder, and that's like that's on your record, like. Oh, yeah. You, you were the guy. Right. And then he later becomes, you know, the, the, the commanding general of the First Continental Army. And, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> war hero, president, you know, founding father, comeback kid. Yeah. Like and, I think, and I think what we will talk about in the next episode is that he learns a lot From about it. And he grows okay. uh, as a person a lot. A lot. So, so there could be a, a life lesson in that, I guess, of, uh, you know... If you find yourself losing a battle and starting a global war, you just pick yourself <laughs> up, dust yourself off, right? Learn from your mistakes. Yeah, yeah you can. I mean, uh-huh. you can learn from it and, and move forward and be a better person. Yeah. Because of that experience, or I mean, you can let that define you for the rest of your define life. You. He yeah. didn't let it define him. Right. Work for Washington. Work for Churchill. Yeah, and I've never started a global war, so. Yeah, as somebody who, who's who's lived all my life not starting a global war, let me tell you, it's a good yeah. reminder to know. <laughs> That's awesome. It is awesome. That's yeah, a good takeaway. Uh, okay, well, good. Thank you. Thank you. It's the first, first segment, so, you know, blowing off the dust. Um, other thing that stood out, and I think we, we did kind of hit on this a little bit, but um, you got to feel for these Native American troops, you know? Yeah. Destroyed by disease. Yeah. You know, uh, confronted with these invaders, no longer in a position to just take them out, as they, they, they probably would have, would have or could have, you know? Sure. And now you're put in the situation of which of these huge global powers am I going to back? Am I going to back the French? Am I going to oh. back the British? I mean, you, you got to feel for them. And, and you wonder, you know, and obviously us being in the future, you look back and you see that whether they were on the wrong side or the, the right side of this war, it didn't turn out well for these tribes. Right. You know? uh, at best, you just lose your identity. At worst, you're killed in a white man's war. I mean... And someone flipped that. Yeah. Some would say that losing that identity piece is far worse than the, the physical death, but it's the, the broader cultural yeah. loss right. is, is just um, beyond devastating. Right. So you've you got to feel for them. Which, yes. you know, am I going to trust this huge promise or that huge promise? Are they going to honor this promise? Uh, it's got to be a hard decision. Is there a right answer? Right. You know? Well, and then here's, um, and I'll bring this up, and this is, I recognize this as something that's totally, uh, totally wrong, and I would never say this now, but as a child, 
I remember this term being thrown around, like, don't be an Indian giver. Sure. Have you heard that? Yeah. And the connotation is that Indians or Native Americans um, don't mean what they say. Which is so ironic. Right. But without understanding the roots of... Of course. Of course not. Of of the deep roots of this this culture has been... um, how, How would you say, like no matter what side they side with, they come out on the losing yeah, end. Yeah, right. And they've been taken advantage Absolutely. of. And lied to. Right. And so it's not so simple just to say, oh yeah, Native Americans, like, you know, don't mean what they say. But like what you're saying, looking back at the past and the hi- yeah. history. How many treaties did, did the white man, whether it's, oh whether it's the Americans, maybe it's George Washington, the British, the French, they signed, you know, hey, give us this piece of land, that's it, and, and just violate it again and again and again. Yeah. It, it really should be, don't be a a, a Caucasian giver or, or whatever. Sure. I mean. <laughs> I, and I think it's, um, yeah. No, that's a really good point. And I think you got to feel for them in that kind of, yeah, you know, the what if, you know, what if there wasn't the disease? Uh, the, we, we can play, historians, historic, historian gets a story, that's funny. Historians have always hated what if history, but you got to wonder, you know, yeah. If if they hadn't been destroyed by disease, you know, if they hadn't been forced to make this life or death decision between two powers, you know, uh, how could things have ended up differently? You know. Absolutely, and I think the the Six Nations, uh, the Iroquois, had even after being decimated by disease and uh, invasion right. and colonialism, still had such power and influence. Right that the the colonial powers were forced they could not eradicate them they were forced to ally with these indigenous peoples right. because of that confederacy they had built and even to the point where there's been a, a kind of a long debate and a lot of scholars of American history are pretty certain um, and, and say that the founding fathers were heavily heavily influenced by the federalism Wow. Of the Iroquois uh, confeder- so their Confederacy, their system of government, wow. and that and that their system of government is the basis of the United States federal government. I've never heard that before. Really, That's you know, it's it's super yeah. interesting, and um, and you think about it that the, the they grew up in a Native American world, sure, and they grew up specifically as as British subjects, right, uh, allied and knowing the Iroquois people, right, and system, and so like yeah. Um, imagine if the Iroquois Confederacy hadn't been decimated by disease. Right. Like the what if that didn't happen? Sure. Um, would there have been the 13 British colonies? Would there have been any kind of European foothold? Yeah. Well, I mean, and how easy would it be for the, the undestroyed Iroquois or, or even a, a, a band of smaller tribes to to unite under one flag or against a common enemy. I mean, look at look at the allies in World War Two. You know, with with, yeah. with Hitler, right? Um, yeah. Or look at uh, look at all the Gallic or all the Gaelic tribes, not Gallic, excuse me, Gaelic tribes uh, fighting against Rome. Right? They yeah. they were not friends, but against no. Rome they were. Right? And, yeah. And so it's the whole what if game, you know? It's so big. Shout out to uh, Jared Diamond, Guns, Germs, and Steel. Sure. Oh, if you haven't love it, read that book or or watched love the it. uh, P- it's a PBS series, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. Um, you got to do it. Um, it, it it explains so much about human history so and it, patterns. It, and... That book is starting to get old, but really, when I think about how do I view, especially colonialism, 
you know how do I yes. how do you view that through a modern lens that is that is how I do it so there's like a whole that. chapter in that book that talks about zebras yeah. yeah. <laughs> why zebra's gonna be domesticated? I'm like, what? He tried, man. He, he went, tried. He went down a rabbit hole. Like, we're talking about zebras right now. We're talking about zebras right now. You know what? This is speaking of rabbit holes, uh, and this is kind of getting away from our takeaways. But uh, have you read? And I've only read a little bit. Uh, do, doing my regular Wikipedia warrior stuff here. Uh, have mm. you read anything about uh, the emu war in Australia? No clue. You don't know about that? No. Oh my goodness. Okay, so. So for any uh, sidebar, right any now. any uh, uh, emu war historians out here, I apologize for the the, the rabbit trail that I'm, I'm sure I'm going to mess up here. But uh, in Aust- yeah, Google it, Google it. In Australia, you know they have a lot of um, pretty crazy animals, right? You know, yeah. really just you know um, to the point of where, especially like in the, the outback of Australia, like uh, in, in Western Australia, they've built like a fence. Like to like keep out like certain animals like from like, nature. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like with, I'm sure I'm explaining it perfectly, uh, but yeah, that's crazy. Um, and but they the emu war. Uh, I think it was like in the 30s, 1930s. Uh, the the Australian army was trying to eradicate these emus because emus were destroying crops, like hardcore destroying crops all okay. across. And so they, they, they show up with like Lewis guns. They show up with machine yeah. guns trying to kill these emus. Uh, and the funny thing about the story is like the emus won. <laughs> the Australians in the program because it's not successful. Did they learn how to use guns? I mean, they, Did they adapt? The, they're, they're mean. And, and apparently the amount, they underestimated how many bullets a, a grown adult emu can absorb before going down. Planet of the emus. There's, if, if you scroll through that article, you have Wikipedia. Yeah, I'm on up. Wikipedia now. If you scroll through, there's like, there's like a, a quote from like the commanding officer where he talks about how it's not finan- it's not fiscally responsible to continue this war because they're using so many bullets to like try to eradicate these emus. <laughs> the emu war. The, the, the emu command had evidently ordered guerrilla attacks. They're speaking about emus. <laughs> about as the they're, emus. They're strategizing. They're talking about federalism here. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. No, keep going. There's one more quote. Uh, I think it's a little farther down. Um, if we had a military division with a bullet carrying capacity of these birds... It would face any army in the world. <laughs> so they're saying, like, the, the amount of supplies, men, equipment, everything we would need to defeat these emus would make us the strongest army in the world. Yeah. Like, that's the level we need. Australia, oh, man. Australia. Hashtag Australia. Oh, I don't know how we got there from George Washington, but uh, you're welcome. Is that going to make the edit cut? Oh, I don't know. I think, I think for... Bonus material. Bonus material. For our yeah. subscribers. Well, let's wrap this thing up. Um... <laughs> I gave my takeaways. You're the guy who did all this research. Anything that really stands out to you, George Washington-wise? Um, yeah, I just think... Think about George Washington. I just think about how much... I know we spent a lot of time talking about his upbringing right. and some of his first encounters. So young, too. And Yeah, yeah as a young man. Um, but how much, as we'll see in, kind of in our future discussions, that a lot of his later decisions and worldview is based on this experience, um, this experience of growing up in, in, in a wild western, you yeah. know, uh, Pennsylvania and Virginia and right. um, being a surveyor and being a, 
a landowner, a military man, how that all works to really form his view of Native American people right. um, that in some ways are very like representative of his time. Right, absolutely. Yeah. But in then other ways, as we see him starting to operate in government and having that kind of frontiersman sure. um, experience in Indian country, Native American country, it's going to set him apart from a bunch of other right. politicians who really haven't left the Atlantic seaboard a whole lot. He's actually walked know. the walk here. Yeah, and, you know. And you said he learned from his past mistakes. He learned from where he went wrong. I think he so, did. I think so. I'm curious in, in our future episodes to see how he picks himself up after losing there, after starting that global war, how he dusted himself off, and, you know, how he conducted himself from yeah. there. So I'm, I'm excited. It's awesome. Well, this has been a, uh, a rough and tumble, exciting uh, first episode, first edition of uh, History Bros. Making the Past Dope Again. Uh, I am Andrew, yeah. joined here, of course, by... Uh, it's me, Ethan. And uh, we'll catch you next time.